Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles together. We're going to go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Today we'll be in verse 8. Right now, testing is a very prominent topic in our world, having a test to find out uh, what your status is regarding the coronavirus. Do you have COVID-19? Do you not have COVID-19? How many people in different places, they have to be tested periodically, regularly, so they find out, are they infected with this virus? If a person is infected, then what happens? They bring that contamination with them everywhere they go. So there are many, many people, all of us are being, taking extra precaution to be safe because there's so much uncertainty about this virus. When a person is clean, then there's no restrictions. Like if we try to think back to a year ago and how life was a year ago, it's very different than how we live right now. When a person knows, I don't have the virus, I'm not infected, then they're not bringing contamination anywhere, so it, it actually brings about a confidence. When a person is pure in heart, they will bring a holy impact wherever they go. Lives will be changed for good. Now, wherever Jesus went, he was never overwhelmed by uncleanness, whether it be a leprosy, or any other type of impurity or defilement. He touched the blind people. He touched people who were infected with various diseases. And never did he become infected. He did what you and I cannot do. I would love to walk down various halls of hospitals and bring goodness and healing to those places. And you notice faith healers that you see on TV, they never go to the hard places. Jesus went to the hard places and he overwhelmed uncleanness, impurity with his holiness, righteousness, goodness. And as he is giving to people even today a pure heart, then it's for a reason that we might be used by him to bring his gospel everywhere we go. So this is my prayer that everyone under the sound of my voice today, that God gives to us a holy ambition a holy ambition. So let me, let me talk to us a little bit about our ambitions this morning. What are your ambitions? What are you passionate about? I want you to be thinking about this. What, what do I really care about? What do I love? What do, I just have to be there. Today, opening day of hunting. As I left the house and it was cold and downpouring rain this morning in the dark, I was glad that it's not my passion to be hunting. I was like, you know what? I've thought about hunting. I've said, you know, other people hunt. That might be an idea. But I didn't have to be out there today, and I was pretty glad. Like, hey, I'll stay in my vehicle. I'll stay warm. Pretty much every fall, I think, you know, somewhere in the course of the year, watching a, you know, a show like Meat Eaters or something, I'm like, maybe I should take up hunting. And then it comes opening day, and it's freezing rain, cold. I'm like, nah, maybe next year. 
It's not passion for me. There's guys out there today, and they're just enjoying it, and ladies too, and they've been scouting out the place, and I just know this is going to be the year, and they're passionate about it. Whatever you're passionate about, nobody has to twist your arm to do it. You just have to do it. You'll finance it. You'll leverage your resources to it. And you'll tell people about it because you're passionate about it. And if people around you were to ask the question, hey, what is he passionate about? And they're talking about you. What is she passionate about? What's going to scroll through their mind? What do you talk about? Some of you, well, they're politics, man. They are passionate about politics. Okay, note to self, whatever, right? What are you passionate about? Jesus disciples are given a holy ambition. What is our ambition? If you're a disciple of Christ, you have been given a holy ambition to please God from the heart. We are not content to go through the motions. We are not content to simply scrape, you know, scrape by, just get by doing the bare minimum that's required of us. Religion, beloved, focuses on the outside. Here are the things that you should do. Here are the things that you should not do. Here's how you should dress. Here's how you should not dress. These are the places you can go. These are the places you can't go. Religion has it all figured out, and if you fit in this description, hey, hey, you receive our approval. And if you don't, well, then you're out. You're out of our club. You're out of the friendship circle done with you. A relationship that is a saving relationship with Christ, the external is important, but not important in a first place. Internal, the heart is what matters most. And if the heart isn't changed, and you just bring about moral reform to a nation, what have you ultimately changed? Nothing. The heart must be changed. This is Old Testament and New Testament that God has always been concerned with our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. And here's what his concern is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your, what? Heart. And with all your soul. And with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Heart. Not just going through the motions. You might remember when the prophet Samuel, Saul was turning out to be not a great uh, result of an election. You know, we want Saul. Look at him. He's head and shoulders above everybody. And the Lord rejected Saul from being king. And he sent his prophet Samuel to Jesse's house. And as he was looking at all those fantastic, you know, winsome young men that were the big brawny brothers of David and He learned a lesson, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but say it with me, the Lord looks on the heart. It's the heart. When the prophet Isaiah delivered the word from the Lord in Isaiah 29, 13, he was pulling back the veil of hypocrisy of the people of God. And the Lord said, verse 13, because this people draw near with their mouth 
and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Jesus was so passionate about the hearts of his disciples. He knew that whatever was in the heart of a man would eventually make its way out to the surface for all to see. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth, what, what, if you have a good heart, what comes out? Good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth, what comes out of an evil heart? Evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Beloved, our mouth tells on our heart all the time. You ever caught yourself saying, where did that come from? The devil made me do it. No, it's the heart. You tip a cup over, whatever's inside of that cup is what's falling out. A trial comes and we get pushed and we get shoved. Whatever's inside of us comes out. So the Sermon on the Mount drives straight to our hearts. The Lord Jesus will have nothing to do with us simply going through the motions, giving ourselves, a, I, I did enough, I gave enough, I've, I, that's it, I'm fine. Beloved, our Savior is worthy of all our worship and devotion. And may I ask you this morning, is your heart right with God? Is your heart right with God? Oh, I pray that it is. And if it's not, by the end of this sermon, I'm praying that you do make things right with the Lord. This is, uh, I'm sure in a room this size, we've had people who've had heart surgery or somebody in your family has had heart surgery. Nobody really wants to go in and say, hey, I was thinking, you know, maybe I could just have some heart surgery today. You know, just pull my ribs open. Let's do this. I, you know, I've never had it done. I'm going to put it on my bucket list and just check it off. Nobody would say that. This Sermon on the Mount is spiritual heart surgery. All right, we're, we're either just born again or crazy to open up this word because the word is doing a spiritual heart surgery on us. It's showing in me, in you, in us what's wrong with us. But it doesn't stop there. It also shows through the word how it can be made right. There's hope in this. Hebrews 4.12, spiritual heart surgery. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I might say a scalpel. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the... Yep, right here, heart. So from the mountain, Jesus is giving the sermon. He is describing what it is to be a citizen of his kingdom. This is not a to-do list. How can I be right with God? Do all this. No, you can't. I can't. But if you come by faith, you repent of your sin, and you receive the gospel, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring this out of your life, out of our lives together. He will produce this good work in us. Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, seeing the crowds. He went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the, what was the first group? Poor in 
spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what a citizen of God's kingdom says. This is their confession. I am spiritually bankrupt. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. This is what a citizen of God's kingdom, a disciple feels. They feel sorrow over their sin. Verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This is how they think that if someone confronts them, if someone is even critical of them, they receive that with meekness. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is what a disciple pursues. Verse seven, we saw last week, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is how a disciple responds. We see a need and we go and we help and we let God use us. And verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is how a disciple functions because it's who they are. It changes how they live. All of these are connected, beloved. They're not separate. They're not, I'll have a little mercy with a side of mourning, um, hold on the hunger and thirst for righteousness. No. Each of them flow into the next one. Now we're in the Beatitudes that are actually propelling the people of God to do something. Because of who we are, because of how we think, because of what we pursue, it's actually headed to a bullseye and it's people in need all around us. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Let's ask God for his help this morning. Lord, we ask that you would make the book live to me. Show me yourself, Lord, within your word. Show me myself and show me my Savior and make the book live to me and to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. This morning, here's the claim I want to put out, all right? Authentic faith will be evident in our, and here's what we're familiar with at Grace, worship, walk, work. Membership defined by we worship together, we walk together, we work together, we serve. Someone who's a member, they say, here I am, I'm all in, put my hand to work. I worship the Lord, I walk in small group community, and I am here to serve. I'm not here to be served. This is not a me church. This is not consumer driven. This is worship driven. And worship isn't worship unless it's connected with sacrifice. But today we're going to add something in here, and that is the witness. Because we're not interested in us, us four no more bar the door. We're not interested in a country club. We're not interested in a, in a select group of people set aside for our own good. No. A self-congratulation society. No. We're here for a reason. It's to leverage every opportunity for God's glory and the good of our brothers and sisters and neighbors and fellow countrymen and fellow citizens on planet Earth. Amen? That's what we're here for. All right, so how will our witness be affected? Let's unpack this. What is the meaning? What does it mean to be pure in heart? All right, in biblical imagery, the heart is the center of our entire personality. The heart is the center of our entire being. We can't live without a physical heart and without our heart being spiritually made new through new birth, like Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, we don't have spiritual life. If we have spiritual life, it's because we've been given a pure heart. Our heart is who we are at the core of our being. 
In Matthew chapter 15, if you will turn there, there's going to be two different places we're going to go to in Matthew this morning. Because it all fits together in the message of the king, the whole, really, gospel of Matthew. And Jesus here in Matthew 15 assessed the problem with humanity. His diagnosis was at the level of our hearts. So, beloved, our problem isn't so much of what we do or don't do. Our problem resides in who we are. Matthew 15, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. They are so incensed at Jesus' disciples because you're not going through the ceremonial washing. You claim to be a religious man, you fake. All right, verse 3, he answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Ouch. What are you talking about, Jesus? He says, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your traditions, you have made void the word of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about a a spirit, a religious provision made so that you didn't have to care for your aging parents. You could give it to God and then you could give to the religious leaders in that temple environment that was corrupt when Jesus was here and you would be removed from your responsibility to care for your parents because you gave it to the Lord. And he's calling them out. You hypocrites, verse seven says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments. And and here's what all false systems of religion do. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So if you think through all the world religions where a man speaks for God in the place of God, had a vision in a cave, had, a, had dreams, golden tablets, I have a new revelation, we have a new translation, uh, follow us, we speak from the chair, ex cathedra, and we can give you equivalent to the word of God. No, no, and no again. That does not come from heaven down, it comes from hell up. We need not be confused or have blurry vision. Jesus is here saying, quoting Isaiah, they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. Verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. This was the original question, right? But what comes out of the mouth? Huh. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? You know, you made some enemies with your message today. Did I really? That was last Sunday, right? I don't plan on offending anybody today, okay? That was last Sunday. If you need to be offended, just listen to last Sunday's message on mercy. And Jesus, you offended them, he answered. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. 
And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the, where? Heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart, now here's Jesus' assessment of the human heart, without a work of grace, without the gospel intervening, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. I needed that verse when I was a kid because my mom always was telling me I didn't wash my hands good enough. Like, mom, here's the verse. No, go wash your hands again, she would tell me. But she wasn't confusing that into a spiritual sense. It was just a physical, your hands are dirty. Don't want you at the table eating food, passing anything with your grubby hands. Jesus is saying, we aren't defiled by what It's the environment I was raised in. That's what messed me up. It's, oh, all of these political influences. That's what messed, no, 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 no. We are messed up. Our hearts are messed up. We don't have to teach children to be selfish and to lie and to fuss and say, I need more attention because in our hearts, we want to be in charge. We want to be God. I speak and it happens. Pick me up now. Put me down now. Get me that now. Put me over there now. This is, this is, I want to be God. You don't teach that to anybody. We're born with this nature and we have to be delivered from it through a work of grace. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? Back to Matthew 5. There have been two two understandings of what it means. One is salvation. That this is when a sinner's heart is freed from sin. This is inner moral purity. It's brought about through the gospel and through faith in Jesus Christ. The moment a sinner is converted, they're set free from the power and penalty of sin. Salvation given a pure heart. So if you've never been saved this morning, your heart is defiled. You are in need of a pure heart to be given to you. And God is in the business of doing that. That's why Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. The Jews understood ceremonial cleansing, but the surface cleansing was insufficient. It wouldn't help get to the heart level. The psalmist cried out, David, after his horrific sin with Bathsheba and committed murder, Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God does this. Now, baptism, that's an external display of what has happened internally. If someone goes into the waters of baptism and their heart has not been changed, the waters of baptism don't get deep enough to purify their heart. The waters of baptism, they might wash off some dirt. If somebody walked through a, you know, a dust cloud and they're baptized, they come up, their face is clear, but it doesn't get to the heart level. Only the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from our sin. And baptism is a picture, a ceremony of that cleansing that has taken place. That's one understanding, salvation. But there's another understanding of what it means to have a pure heart, and that is sincerity. This is a saint's heart 
has been set free from hypocrisy or double-mindedness. Sincerity, it's a word, uh, hypocrisy. It was is used in plays where someone would come out and they would have a mask on and they would act a part, then they would go off stage, they would come back with a different mask on, play that part, go off, and everyone in the audience would be wondering, who is this person? Right, right now, it's, I think it's on TV, the masked singer. Who's behind the mask? No one knows. Try to hear the voice, try to figure out mannerisms, try to figure out who this person is. To be unmasked is to be without hypocrisy. It's used in another way. When we first bought a crib for Emma, we found out we're going to have a baby. It's going to be what has come to be Emma, and we know Emma. And so we bought a crib, and that worked really well when it was just stained and it was dark, and then Ginger said, I want to paint the crib. I want to paint it white. Okay, so I get the sandpaper out. I think this is probably when either Sophie or Lola were coming along. And so I'm sanding it all down, and I'm looking at this crib, and the wood is filled with gouges and digs and scrapes that had all been puttied, filled, sanded, and cleaned up, and somebody sold, restored, which is where we bought it. We just didn't see it all. All those imperfections were hidden until I took the layer off, and then I painted right back over it white, and I don't even know where that thing is now. It's in somebody else's house somewhere, okay? When they had pottery, this word for hypocrisy, that they would, they would take a, a, a vessel, and if it had a, a, an imperfection in it, they would take wax, and they would fill in that imperfection and cover it up. But what, when the sun would come out and warm that piece of pottery up, then the w- wax would melt out, fall away, and the person would look at this vase that they got, and they're like, hey, what's up with this vase? I didn't see that when I bought it. The trial revealed imperfections. That's the idea of hypocrisy. One commentator described the person who is pure in heart as someone who is free from the tyranny of a divided self. Now, a deceitful person, okay, you think you know who they are, but that's not who they are. That person is dangerous. Psalm 55, verse 21, the psalmist says, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. You ever known anybody like this? You thought they were your friend until you heard what they were saying to other people that you thought were your friends. And you're thinking, wow. I wonder why you didn't ever say that to me, to my face. Well, there's your verse, Psalm 55, 21. They're deceitful. But there's also a double-minded person. This person is unstable in all their ways, James 1, 8 says. This is a person that cannot make up their mind. I know, I know no one here is like that, right? Decisions just come so easy. No, it's hard. Double-minded. If you're double-minded, well, maybe we should go this way. Well, maybe we should go that way. Maybe we should eat over here. Maybe we should eat over there. Maybe, we, maybe this, maybe that. And you can't ever land on, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. We've been through, with, this is a church. We've owned the property for almost three decades. And yes, we're going to go there. No, we're going to put it on the market. Okay, we'll buy more property there. I mean, we have been back and forth, but now we are seeing God give to us a clear understanding of where we're going what we're doing, and why, and a people who have a heart to accomplish the will of God for his glory. 
A single-minded person is a person who's focused. They're freed from living in a way that is duplicitous. Just, I can't make up my mind. Luke recorded this. On the day of Pentecost, people, so many people came to faith in Christ and they began to worship together, Acts 2, 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, you see, they're freed up. It's not like, this is mine. This is my stuff and you get your stuff and this is my. They're like, hey, you have a need? Here, I'll sell a piece of property. I'll help you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leverage my resources to be a blessing to you. And day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts or hearts of simplicity that they're cleared up. We're living for one reason, and it's for the glory of Christ. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, to be pure in heart is to be uncompromisingly dedicated to Christ. Should I ask for a show of hands? How many of us are uncompromisingly dedicated to Christ? Would anybody raise their hand? I can't raise my hand. I want to be. Now, that's a different question. I want to be uncompromisingly dedicated to Christ. And he is working that in me. So is Jesus here referring when purity in heart to salvation or sincerity? I think Don Carson helps us with this and he says, yes. It's not one or the other, it's both. He says this, it is impossible to have one without the other. The one who is single-minded in commitment to the kingdom and its righteousness will also be inwardly pure. Inward sham, deceit, and moral filth cannot coexist with sincere devotion to Christ. Either way, this beatitude excoriates hypocrisy. Just putting it right down on the bottom shelf for all disciples. Blessed are the pure in heart. All right, so let's look at the making. We've unpacked the meaning. Let's look at the making. How do we become pure in heart? How does a person become pure in heart? Well, first of all, there's an initial cleansing. There's an initial cleansing. This is, this is a once-for-all purification that happens. It takes place at conversion. Okay, so then the question is asked, well, how is someone converted? How does someone, how do I have a clean heart? How can I receive a clean heart? The gospel must be proclaimed. So followers of Christ, they share the message, they preach the good news. People hear of their sin, their condition, and they hear of a savior and they give their sin to Jesus and he saves them. This is the gospel. It must be proclaimed. Peter connected our faith with practical life and our love for others, as he quoted the prophet Isaiah, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. He says, having purified your souls. How do you do that? Does Costco sell that? Walmart? Yeah, I'm just looking. Amazon, I'm looking for a purification for my soul. Can I get that in two days? How does this happen? By your obedience to the truth. See, the question in every sermon that we have to ask is not, do I like that guy? Do I like his delivery style? 
the question for us is, is what he is saying true? If it's true, then we have to deal with it. Your obedience to the truth. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. A church will be defined by brotherly love if the heart is pure. If the heart is not pure, you're not going to see brotherly love. You're not going to see long-suffering, forbearing with another, one another, forgiving one another. No, you won't see mercy toward one another. It won't be refreshingly different. Since you, verse 23, have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains, how long? Forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's my joy and privilege to preach the good news again today. The Lord has given us another opportunity to hear about our sin and about a Savior and how good and merciful and gracious he's been to us. Beloved, the gospel must be proclaimed, but that's not just by preachers. It's not just by me. It's by all of the disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are enlisted into being a proclaimer of the gospel. People that you know, I'll never meet. But God's put you in their lives for a glorious reason. And then what people do with the gospel, we can't control that. You can't control that with your your spouse. You can't control that with your children, with your parents, with your coworkers. We have a responsibility to cast the seed and to be refreshingly merciful and then allow God to water the seed and give life. That's what he does. The gospel must be taken to heart. It must be received. Paul writes of this in Romans chapter 10. In verse 8, he says, but what does it say? The word, and I picture it like, like a seed, is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. If you're here without Christ, you say, how far away am I from salvation? It's right here hanging in the air. It's going into your mind, but will it drop down to the soil of your heart? Verse 9 Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and this is connected, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. The two go together. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, say it with me, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? This was Louis's favorite verse. He loved Romans 10 committed that to memory. Encouraged my heart every time I could say, Louis, you say it. Still is encouraging my heart and he's in the presence of the one who lived and died for him. I can't ever go through Romans 10 and not think about how the gospel transformed him. 
and members of his family. It's real. There's an initial cleansing, but then, beloved, there's a continual cleansing. And we need this. If you are honest, and I'm honest, the moment we were saved, yes, we were given an initial cleansing, and we were given a pure heart. Has it remained pure in all things? Can I tell you that every sermon I've ever given is pure in heart, without flaw? Absolutely not. Do I want every sermon to be pure in heart? Yes. And I need you to pray for me as I pray for you, and you serve me in this way as I serve you, that God is doing a work. He has done a work. He's doing a work. He will complete the work in us. But we need this continual cleansing. And this is what Jesus was talking about in John 13 when he washed the disciples' feet. And Peter was like, what? You're not washing my feet. Jesus like, if I don't wash your feet, you got nothing to do with me. Okay, bring it on, Lord. Take me through the full wash. I just need to wash your feet. They're dirty. That dust outside, sewer dust, it's pretty bad. I'm going to wash that off your feet. And he says this, but not all of you are clean. Not all of you have a clean heart, a purified heart. And he's speaking about Judas. Judas was religious. When he left the room that night, the upper room, everybody thought he's going to help the poor. Oh, if I could just be a little more like Judas. Later on that night, they never said that again. They had their eyes cleansed. If I can be more like Jesus, don't want to be like Judas, religious but lost. There's a continual cleansing that we need. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I love what the Apostle John writes, 1 John chapter 1. In verse 7, he describes what I believe the initial cleansing at salvation. In verse 9, he describes the cleansing that we need as we live this Christian life. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the constant cleansing that we need, like Peter's feet needed, we need for our souls as we walk through this world and the filth of the world that we live in, we're entangled with it. And the struggles that Paul talked about in Romans 7, that what I want to do, I'm not doing, and what I don't want to be doing, I'm doing, what is going on in here? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I understand that. I deal with that, and you do too. So we need to be the constantly, that's what Luther's 95 thesis, thesis number one, nailed to the door, that we are constantly living a life of confession. Not just on set days, it's all the time. So then what's our motive? Let's unpack this a little bit. Number three, what's our motive? We've looked at the meaning, the making. Now here, let's get to the motive. What, what is the blessed hope that Jesus promises for the pure in heart? He promises that they will see God in the future 
face to face, they will see God. Now, when we talk about face to face, when we talk about in the future, seeing God, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about fellowship. Right right now, schools are working through the process. Are are we going to go 100% online? How long are we going to be able to stay in-person learning? We understand schools, understand the value of being in relationship and being face-to-face. You're here today. We're face-to-face. There are people who are joining us online, hopefully if the internet is working, and they're able, but they're not face-to-face, so I can't see them. So we're limited. We're, we're away from one another, although our hearts long to be with one another. And in the garden, we had fellowship with God face-to-face until sin happened. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, were put out of the garden, and God's plan of redemption began to unfold, and it came clear in Jesus who lived the life that we could never live and died the death we deserve to die. And he defeated the enemy in his resurrection that we have no hope against. But if you trust him, you will be given life that never ends. And this is the gospel. And now this is where it's all going. And Jesus says, you will see God. Pure in heart will see God. Somebody who's not pure in heart, they don't want to see God. If I was doing wrong, I didn't want my parents to come home now. No, wait till I can hide, cover, change, do. Oh, I got it all done now. Then come home. But somebody who has been given a pure heart and walking in purity, they're waiting to be in the presence of the Lord. We will see God in the future face to face. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now he writes, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And John in Revelation, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 22, speaking of this coming day, this city, this beautiful city, he says, no longer, verse 3, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or a sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is a promise given to saints. So they will see God one day in the future, face to face, but listen, they will see God presently by faith. This is what... uh, Theologians say already and not yet. Okay, not yet. I, I, don't, I haven't seen him face to face, but already I have seen him through the eyes of faith. And this gives me a present fellowship with God. His spirit dwells in me. If you belong to him, his spirit dwells in you. And he gives you a new family. He gives you his people, the church. And, and, and even Old Testament, Moses, Hebrews eleven twenty seven, says that he was seeing him who is invisible. How did he see him who is invisible? through the eyes of his heart, the eyes of faith. And in 1 John chapter 3, the apostle John, he connects the already and not yet, and he brings this two together, that where we're going impacts how we live right now, that we as believers, we see God's sovereign hand throughout the course of events in history. And John writes in 1 John 3 verse 1, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us 
that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, read this next phrase with me, we shall be like him. Let's say that again. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Do you see how those two go together? That's the initial cleansing. You've been made pure and the continual cleansing, but I need to purify my heart. I need the Lord to continually purify my heart, to refine me, to sift up the impurities, the wrong motives. Why? To deal with them. So important. Michael Wilkins says it this way. He says, for those who have set their heart on God and not simply religious ritualism and who respond to Jesus' message of the gospel of the kingdom, they are invited to enter a fellowship with him in which they will experience the unthinkable. They will see God in Jesus. Have you seen the Lord Jesus? Have you seen God in Christ? Think about Moses. Moses, God, I just want to show, show me your glory, Lord. And he couldn't. And so the Lord put him in the cleft of the rock, covered him with the hand, passed before him and said, I will let you see the backside of my glory. The final part of the, the trail, just, this, just a little glimpse of my glory. And when he came down off the mountain, people said, Moses, we can't look at you. Can you put a bag on your face? It's like looking at the sun, he was in the presence of the Lord. And when he would go into the tabernacle to worship, he would take that veil off. No hypocrisy, nothing hidden. And he would come out and that radiance would be on his face and people would know the God who lives resides in his mercy in our camp, in that tent. Doesn't contain him, it represents his presence. The glory of God, we will see God. Lastly, what's then the impact of this? All right, so we've unpacked the meaning, the making, how we become pure in heart, the motive. If we stop there, beloved, we've missed it entirely. Thank you, Pastor Wise. I now understand the meaning of being pure in heart and how someone is made pure in heart and our motive, we will see the Lord and what's for lunch. Uh-uh, no way. This sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes are leveraging them all for a greater good, for the glory of God. This is going somewhere. This isn't for you and me to just sigh a sigh of relief. Oh, I have been given a pure heart and I have a pure heart and that's amazing. I'm amazing. Oh, missed it. God is amazing. He's purified my heart. I'm gonna see him one day. I want to purify my heart and there are people everywhere in need of a pure heart this ministry. What is the impact of a people who are pure in heart? Beloved, they will help others see God in eternity. Well, that's what we have to look forward to. Yeah. 
And don't we want that for other people that we know and don't know? I want them to see God in eternity. So God, help us to leverage every opportunity for the glory of the Lord and the good of our fellow man. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If someone says, I don't have a pure heart and I don't really want a pure heart, Hebrews 12, 14 is saying, hey, wake up call. Without holiness, you will not see the Lord. You can't look at the sun straight on and keep your vision. And somehow people think they're going to be in the presence of the one who spoke the sun into existence and they're going to argue with him. No, they will bow their knee. It's not if you're going to bow your knee, it's when you bow your knee that matters. Bow your knee before the one who made you in this lifetime and died for you and you're given life that never ends in mercy. Reject him, the only provision that God has given, the only name that saves, and you will face the full judgment and wrath of God rightly for your own sin. We want to help others see God in eternity. This leads us into, God willing, two weeks, peacemakers, bringing peace. And we will help others see God not just one day, yonder, you know, down the road. No, no, we will help others see God presently. The disciples will represent God to others presently in the face of trials, in the face of suffering, and in light of blessings. Oh, that others will see Christ in us right here, right now, and one day see Christ face to face in eternity. Our lights will shine through humble acts of mercy as we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. I want you to go in your Bible with me to Matthew 25. My prayer is that we will not just overlook this or quickly pass by this, this message to have a pure heart. The reality of the, of the judgment is coming. So my concern as a pastor is that people who name the name of Christ, who even belong to a church, will still miss opportunities to serve and they won't take seriously, where is my hand in the ministry? Where is my fingerprint on the work of God? What am I doing to serve the church that Christ died for? And am I doing all that I'm doing with a pure heart? Or do I do it for the applause of man? And if I don't get enough applause, then I'll let somebody else do it. Now think about this. Matthew 25, verse 31 is where we're going to begin. When the Son of Man, Jesus speaking, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Imagine this coming day. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, read that with me, you did it to me. Wow. We didn't get the advance warning. I'm the Lord, what will you do for me? Oh, whatever you want, Lord. No, he sends insignificant, often overlooked people into our lives all the time. Do we see them? And do we serve them? Then he will say to those, verse 41 on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It all hinges on who is your king. Don't we hear the voice of Richard every week on the video saying, here and understand and obey the message of the king. There are those who do, and there are those who, as of right now, will not. My prayer is that they will. And they will say, Lord, have mercy. And I bow my ambition to you, and I bow my life to you, and I give you my hopes, my dreams, my goals, and I give you my sin, and I give you my shame, have mercy on me. What's your next step in having a pure heart? Can we help you take that step? Can we help you take that step today? If you're online, we have a way to communicate with you. If you're here, when the service concludes, I'll wait around. How can we help you take that next step? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you save sinners. Father, I pray that you will create in us a clean heart, that you will use us with undivided hearts and you will give to your people, the people specifically, Lord, that you've called me to shepherd here holy ambition, an ambition that is given by you and we will not stop, we will not relent, but we will serve and we will hunger and thirst for righteousness and we will show mercy. 
so that others may see you presently and face to face in eternity. For you are good and you are worthy. For Jesus' sake. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.